When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast, bringing you the latest updates from the world of sports, gambling, and pop culture. Because you can't have a show without hot takes or a Tiger King meme these days. Know what I'm saying? Now, with over 200 episodes and ready to get after it again, here's your host, Dwayne Callender. Hello and welcome to the show, everyone. Got quite a bit to talk about. We're going to do a separate episode on the uh, NFL Championship Sunday. Uh, Realistically, I want to talk about a couple items that have been going by the wayside. Uh, But first off, let's talk about UFC last night. Uh, UFC 257, the return of Conor McGregor. And it went went out with a whimper, to be honest. Uh, as McGregor gets knocked out in the second round by Dustin Poirier. But this is one of those cautionary tales because it was an inflated line, and we talk about this all the time, with uh, name recognition and what that gets you into trouble with sometimes. If you're just looking at the name and not looking at the specific matchup, you get yourself into these bad situations. Conor McGregor was a minus 330 to minus 350 favorite, depending on your sports book, against Poirier. Realistically, with the layoff Conor had, and the fact that Poirier had been on an uptrend in terms of his performances since losing to Khabib Nurmagomedov, uh, man, was that fight two years ago already? It's so much, like, the UFC time just, like, I mean, even with the pandemic, uh, the UFC fight cards just keep rolling by so fast, but Poirier's winning streak and the win over Gaethje, you know, Poirier was taking a lot of damage in some of those wins, but he was still on an uptrend. Connor only fought Cowboy Cerrone. He hadn't really fought. So th- there was always that risk of if Connor gets into a stand-up battle, what happens? Will he tire out? Now, it didn't even get to that point because I'll explain what exactly happened to Conor McGregor. But regardless, in terms of a matchup, the line realistically should have been around minus 200. I was not betting on Conor last night, thankfully. I got steamrolled in another pick that I'm kind of, I'm still kind of ticked off at myself for. But, you know, the, uh, uh, the fact of the matter is Connor really should have been a minus 200 favorite. He's at minus three, uh, 330 to 350, and it's because of casual fans just knowing Connor McGregor and just thinking he's going to roll whatever dude he's up against. And although the uh, the fact that, uh, you know, you got a uh, prior victory over Poirier, that was six years ago. I mean, that is so long ago in UFC time. I think people did get kind of caught up with the idea that this was just going to be a cakewalk for Connor. And, you know, 
Connor has been inactive for the better part of three and a half years. Uh, you know, when you follow the saga of him going, uh, kind of getting the fight with Floyd, taking some time off, just not being around. And the other aspect of this fight was the first fight was at 145. Uh, you know, there's a big difference uh, going from 145 to 155. That extra 10 pounds of muscle allows you to absorb more damage. And Connor clipped Poirier early in that first fight uh, and kind of got him off balance with a hook kick. Uh, Poirier was a lot better prepared this time. And he started chopping at Connor's legs. And Connor would not check the leg kicks. The leg kicks are what did Connor in in the end. Because Connor was still tagging Poirier. Poirier was in trouble for, I'd say, 60% of that fight. Like, Poirier was taking damage, and you could tell he was wearing it uh, pretty good. It's just that Poirier was able to change things up. He was able to utilize his leg kicks. He actually took Connor down. He wrestled with him. And the fact that Connor was struggling to actually, uh, you know, deal with uh, getting taken down shows you that Connor is in no way, shape, or form even remotely ready for Khabib Nurmagomedov, which was the fight that Dana White was trying to get set up if Connor was able to get past Poirier, who was the number two ranked fighter in the division. You know, the bottom line is, is that the number one ranked fighter was a, a, a ended up being Gaethje. Uh, you know, again, Khabib already beat Gaethje. You know, he's already taken out the entire division, cleaned it out. And there was nothing left for him, and he retired. Now, with this victory, Poirier technically uh, puts himself in a spot to get that eliminator fight because, you know, if Khabib stays retired, who, uh, you know, somebody's got to fight for the vacant belt, and he's put himself right there in that title match. Now, the next guy that, you know, kind of ended up uh, screwing things up uh, for me is Michael Chandler, but, um, you know, in terms of uh, Conor McGregor, there are three ways this can go. He can retire. He's made enough money. I don't see that happening. He can go back to boxing. And try to stalk, you know, uh, you know, whether, I, I mean, I don't think the Pacquiao situation makes sense at this point. Uh, you know, maybe you could fight one of, uh, the Paul brothers, uh, and do, and do the stupid reality, uh, TV stick gimmick, uh, of, uh, of fighting, J uh, Logan, is it Logan Paul or Jake Paul? I can't remember which Paul brother it is, uh, that boxes. But he could go that route. But the other route is finding a more viable matchup in the UFC. And to me, the two fights that Connor could take in the UFC at this stage are both at 170. He could complete the trilogy with Nick Diaz. And that's his easiest fight. Because he knows how to beat Diaz. It's just a matter of can he execute and get it done one more time. Or he fights... Uh, you know, Jorge Masvidal, who's also a striker. He's not going to wrestle Connor. Connor cannot deal with wrestling. So he needs to fight strikers that are just going to bang with him. And to me, it's either complete the trilogy with Diaz or fight Jorge Masvidal. Both guys want a piece of Connor in the worst way possible. 
because they want that gate money. But that, to me, is the only pathways for Conor fighting in the UFC. you got to make it a matchup that makes sense for Conor to win. And at this stage, he cannot go against a wrestler. Even Poirier isn't a wrestler, but he knows that Connor can't uh can't get off his back. So he he took him down. It was a smart move. It it, it probably uh, preserved them in that first round and gave him the opportunity to kind of uh uh wear Connor down a little bit further just so he could keep using the leg kicks. As far as Connor not leg checking, I think that's a lot of it uh the signs of inactivity with Connor not being prepared uh for the fight. And that's just the way it kind of uh, boiled down to. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to, you're not going to rebrand Conor McGregor. It's just that, you know, his fan base is still going to travel. You just need to make sure that the balloon does not deflate around the general public any more than it already has based off of some of Conor's recent performances. So UFC is going to have its work cut out for him. Conor's team is going to have their work cut out for him. But uh, realistically, I think the next fight is the. Uh, completion of the trilogy against Nate Diaz uh, to kind of get things in the right direction. And at least from a promo front, uh, it'll be entertaining enough uh, to reignite interest in uh, Conor McGregor because uh, between folks not being able to order the pay-per-view and watch it on ESPN Plus, there were massive outages. Uh, There was just a lot of confusion and frustration going around. And then having the main event end the way that it did uh, definitely uh, uh, was uh, not in the way uh, that uh, the UFC or ESPN would have liked. As for yours truly, where did I go wrong? Uh, it was the Michael Chandler-Dan Hooker fight. Myself and everyone that I talked to, we were all on Hooker. You know, Chandler uh, and Hooker, pretty, uh, from a betting perspective, a lot of action was on Hooker. It was minus 120, but, you know, it never really moved, and there was still action on Chandler, and realistically, I thought the pathway to victory for Chandler was he had to get the fight to the ground, and Hooker has been able to sprawl and defend takedowns. You know, I really didn't think uh, Chandler had much of a way of uh, uh, getting in there and taking Hooker out. Hooker is hittable. But I didn't think Chandler had the tools uh, to get the job done. Maybe the Ch- Michael Chandler of eight, nine years ago in his prime during his belt tour days, you could say that, but really did not see uh, Chandler uh, being able to just put it on Hooker and take him out. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, Chandler blitzed him a couple of times, gave him some flurries. Hooker was trying to stay on the outside, chop at the leg. Uh, which did have some success, but Chandler got a hold of him, dropped him, and took him out in under three minutes. And you know, it's just, uh, it's just one of those things where Chandler basically has reestablished himself at the top of the lightweight division, and probably is going to get himself a title shot out of all this. Uh, you know, just in terms of what happened to Connor. There's just not much else left, you know, unless Khabib wants to face Michael Chandler. And I don't think Chandler's enough of a name or interesting enough as a fighter to get Khabib interested. Uh, But uh, 
Yeah, Chandler destroyed my bet because uh, I had Hooker and some parlays, but also my DraftKings lineups. Uh, you know, even for the lineups where I had Poirier, I had Hooker in there. So it just destroyed everything, and my night was over, uh, basically, uh, with, uh, uh, with with that uh, um, uh, matchup. It just, uh, just derailed everything, and... Uh, you know, it's just one of those lessons learned. It's like, you know, sometimes you, you gotta, you can't be as aggressive on certain plays, but money-wise, uh, the bills were kind of pointing that direction. You had to make a decision, and I went with Hooker and paid a very dear price on it because uh, saving money uh, seemed to be uh, uh, a way to go in terms of building out uh, lineups uh, because there were a lot of decisions. But then the main, the co-main event and the main event had finishes, and that's what decided uh, a vast swath of the DFS Tonys. It's just the fact that did you have exposure to Chandler and Poirier? If you didn't, you really had very few pathways of cashing last night. And that's just the way it kind of went down. And, of course, the last bet that uh, really just hurt me last night was Khalil Roundtree. Khalil Roundtree. You know, as a prospect, look is just completely jacked. Looks uh muscles uh muscles galore. Just looks like he could steamroll anybody, and the guy just doesn't bring it. I mean, he ducked the fight with Greg Hardy, which should be should have been a warning sign to me, and I and I I ignored it because uh, Prachnikov had been knocked down four times in nine minutes. He was 0-3 in the UFC heading into last night. Constantly getting knocked down and was very easily hittable. You know, Roundtree was widely considered to be a lock bet. You know, Roundtree was uh, minus... uh, 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 Yeah, he was like minus 400 uh, against Prachnio. The fight was expected to go under one and a half. It's just, uh, you know, Prachnio just storms in, chin up, very hittable. Roundtree put him in danger multiple times, had him rocked at the end of the second round, didn't go in for the kill. I, I, I couldn't believe it. Like, he was so gassed, I guess. He thought he could finish him in the third round, and Prachnio just uh, turned the tables on him and made him wrestle. But, you know, Roundtree had the guy beat and no killer instinct whatsoever. I don't understand this. And I said this to someone before the, uh, because this was in the prelims, but the way I phrased it was, if Roundtree can't knock out Prachnio in two rounds or less, he deserves to get cut by Dana. It, it, It really is that it's simple. Like, Prachnio was knocked out. In the first round, in all three of his fights previously, coming into last night, he was a tomato can. Uh, you know, nothing about his performance last night changed the opinion of that. He he still goes in, uh, he, uh, chin out. Uh, you know, it was very easy to, uh, very easy to hit the guy. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I just had to shake my head on that one because uh, that also hurt uh, a lot of DraftKings lineups. But man, it was just uh, you know, pricing wise, Roundtree at ninety three hundred, even though it was expensive, looked like a an like at least a secure 
uh, knockout finish at some point in that fight. The fact that he lost, I mean, it like everyone was scratching their heads over that one, uh, like the, the, my myself included. But you know, sometimes that happens, uh, especially with inconsistent fighters. But man, that that was a rough one. So, uh, yeah, that was the UFC card last night. I'm going to talk about a couple other items that uh, folks have been buzzing me about. Uh, you know, the James Harden trade to the Nets. You know, I called this in the NBA season preview uh, a couple of weeks ago. None of this was surprising. Uh, James Harden was tanking as much as he possibly could to get out of there, throwing the Rockets under the bus. I mean, it's going to be kind of ugly. Uh when he comes back to Houston at some point, uh, because the way he exited, you know, people don't forget that kind of stuff of uh, guys just quitting on their team. So uh, it's, he's definitely getting booed. Uh, I, I, I'd be shocked if he doesn't get booed next time he comes into uh, Houston. But be that as it may, you know, the Nets sell their entire future to bring in Harden. They got rid of their entire bench. Uh, Levert, uh, Jared Allen, you know, all those guys got dealt. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that the Nets now need Kyrie Irving to mature enough, along with Harden, to work with KD. Because now KD doesn't have any excuses. If KD can't win with these two, and do a LeBron approach, then there is no way KD can be mentioned the same breath as LeBron James, you know, and that is definitely something that is going to bother Kevin Durant. It, you know, it was the thing that bothered him about being on the Warriors. He didn't get full credit, but you know, again, when you blow up a team like the Warriors to do it on your own, you had better make sure that you get the job done. And, you know, so far this year, uh, Durant coming back off the Achilles tear has been a man on a mission. He's just been a scoring machine. And, you know, credit to him, he's well on his way to winning NBA MVP. Uh, you know, Giannis, to me, Giannis is not even remotely in this conversation this year. Mainly because Giannis has not made any improvements to his basketball game. He still doesn't have a post move. He still doesn't have a sky hook. He just has the Euro step, and that's it. Like, there's nothing else to Giannis's game that's improved. Why are you? Why would he even be remotely in the conversation for MVP just because the Bucks win games? The Bucks are graded on if they can win a title at this stage. That's why guys don't win MVP every year. The narrative changes over time. So I think KD is uh, right there in the mix with LeBron for NBA MVP. And it just kind of comes down to how the Nets actually perform in the postseason. And I said this before, I'll say it again. I don't believe in the Nets in the postseason. I don't believe you're actually going to get the maturity that you need out of guys like uh Kyrie Irving and James Harden when it matters, you know, and we're, you know, this is going to take some time to be proven, but I think, uh, you know, they're going to go through their slumps throughout the year. And right now they're in their honeymoon phase, but come March, uh, you know, 
things are going to start getting a little bit more dicier as they start hitting those losing streaks and nerves are going to fray a bit. I don't know if they if they actually have the wherewithal to actually survive that. I really have my doubts about it. Uh, and it's going to come down to Kevin Durant being the leader of the team. You know, the thing he really didn't want to do in Golden State, he's got to do in Brooklyn. I'm not sure if KD can do it because he didn't lead the Thunder. Uh, you know, it's it's been well established that, you know, he kind of deferred that to Russell Westbrook because he didn't like having to call guys out. He just wanted to be the nice guy. He's going to have to rein in Harden and Kyrie when one of them steps out of line. And more than likely, both of them are going to step out of line uh, at the same time in certain periods. So, uh, you know, it's just uh, one of those aspects that it's going to be, it's definitely going to be interesting uh, to see how the Nets perform over the long haul of the season. But I definitely think that, uh, you know, it's more than likely you're going to see the Nets flame out early in the playoffs this year. I, I, you know, I know people are going to say I'm a hater, but I, you know, the track record of Kyrie and Harden, there's nothing about their pedigrees that tells you that they're in it for the long haul. And this is who KD decided to go to war with. It's not my fault that you've got guys who can flake out on you. You made that choice to bring them along. So we'll see with the Nets, but I definitely think that their lack of depth is going to be an issue once you start facing teams like Philly and Boston. They got the length to bother the Nets. They have uh, talented uh, players who are younger than Brooklyn is to make them run. Uh, you know, they can put them in very awkward situations. I don't think it's the Bucks. I think the Bucks still have too many issues uh, to resolve from the past couple of years that they still haven't addressed yet. So it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, I think it kind of comes down to can uh, Brooklyn avoid having to go up against Philly or Boston this year. If it, if, if it, if it comes down to facing the Bucks, that's the easy part. Um, but uh, it's uh, Philly and Boston that would... Uh, give me trepidation if I'm part of the Nets organization. So uh, I'm going to say one last piece before I uh, sign off uh, for this episode. And and this is to the Knicks fans. Stop asking me why I'm not talking about the Knicks. You know, folks, just because the Knicks aren't awful doesn't mean the Knicks are good. The issue with the Knicks is... They're going to be playing hard under uh, coach uh, Tom Thibodeau because Tibbs gets his teams to play hard. They also play a ton of minutes. They also start breaking down in the second half of the year. It is still very early in the NBA calendar. Zach, uh, I mean, Julius Randle is uh, playing for a new contract. You know, I know Julius Randle's balling out. Guess what? He's got millions of dollars on the way. Uh, because it is going to be the last meaningful payday of his professional career. So I would hope that Julius Randle is on his P's and Q's and getting himself in a in a good spot. Because, uh, you know, 
it's the most logical thing he could do for himself is by uh is by getting himself uh that deal because uh, he has a one year left on his uh three year deal but you know he'd be up for an extension the, the bottom line is he needs to actually get uh he actually needs to get uh, get the uh the uh you know a long term deal squared away but you know this is gonna be this next contract is the one that's gonna be the generational wealth type of deal. So to me, I, I mean, I don't go crazy over. I don't go crazy over uh, early season NBA. To me, it, it, it's meaningless. The bottom line comes down to is uh, you know the fact that uh, you got a new coach. Players are going to play hard for them. They're going to get minutes. There's not going to be a whole lot of bench depth uh, taking away uh, stats. So guys are going to put up numbers. Randall has made, you know, and while people will scoff at this uh, and saying he's made a ton of money, realistically, he hasn't. Randall was a number, uh, he was a top 10 NBA pick in 2014. And his seven years in the league, He's only made uh, $58 million. And I know some of you are scoffing at that saying he's made $58 million. What do you mean he hasn't made a lot of money? Realistically, uh, some of the guys in his, uh, his, that immediate group have basically made double what he's made in his career. So, you know, that's why I say he hasn't made a ton because he hasn't gotten any kind of supermax deal, you know, this year uh, is the most money he's ever made in his NBA career. He's making almost $19 million this year. Uh, you know, again, it's not like uh, it's something to scoff at, but again, you know, this next deal is the one. He's uh, he's 26 years old. You know, this is the last big contract before he hits 30. He's got to cash in. So, of course, he's going to put up career numbers. Like, if you don't put up career numbers, like, you, someone needs to have a come to Jesus meeting with you as an NBA player. So, you know, again, I'm not hating on the Knicks. I'm just saying the circumstances, there are rationale to explain why the Knicks are uh, performing, you know, average for the time being. We'll see how the rest of the season shakes out. It's still way too early to tell. So, you know. My whole thing is, if the Knicks had selected Tyrese Halliburton instead of Open Toppin, uh, you know, Obi Toppin, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I think Toppin will be a bust in the NBA. I know no one shares that assessment of uh, of him uh, from uh, what I've read and heard on different podcasts and whatnot, but I don't think Toppin's game translates to the NBA. You already see Halliburton look to be a starting NBA point guard, even though he has to play on the bench because he's playing uh, behind De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento. I just look at it as saying, as well as Emmanuel quickly has played for the Knicks, there's no way uh, you wouldn't rather have Halliburton in that lineup. He's a true point guard. Quickly, he's played well, but I don't think he's a true point guard. He's a scoring guard. He's a combo guard. But I don't think he's a true point guard. I think Halliburton is the guy they really needed. And, you know, that misfire, 
I think is going to bug them for years to come because I don't think Alfred Payton is a starting NBA point guard. Bottom line. And so, you know, uh, the Knicks are going to be hampered by that limitation as they try to move forward into being, uh, progressing into a playoff team. But, uh, you know, like I said, it's still early in the season. Maybe they develop further and prove me wrong. But, uh, you know, I just think that the early season euphoria folks are expressing about the Knicks is a bit misplaced. And I've had enough people ask me about it that, you know, I had to finally commented on the show that no, the Knicks are not a playoff team yet, even as bad as the uh, Eastern Conference is for the NBA. I don't see the Knicks being a 37-38 win team this season, but, you know, we'll see how uh, the rest of the year goes because, you know, lots of things can happen. It's a long season. NBA teams still don't really take it seriously until uh, late February anyway, so... Uh, we shall see, but uh, that does it uh, for now, folks. Uh, we'll have uh, the NFL show uh, conference title game coming up as well. So uh, stay tuned and uh, have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all other major outlets. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.